0: Our readings today uh, clearly revolve around the concept of law. In the Jewish faith, keeping the law was of utmost importance. And if we look back in the first five books of the scriptures, which the Jews call the Pentateuch, there were 613 laws that regulated everything from ritual sacrifice to diet, from the clothing that they wore to how to wash themselves. And then on top of all of these laws over the years were the different customary practices that became elevated to almost the same as laws, even though they were human inventions, but the customary practices that were kept by passing them on from generation to generation, the devotional practices of, of the Jewish faith. And so up until this point, up until the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been reading from for the last couple of weeks, and we will continue to read from for the next couple of weeks, um, for the following weeks until Lent hits, Um, it seems like our Lord is there to contradict the law, to contradict the established norms of his time, but then we have him enter into this declaration. You think that I have come to abolish the law, I have not come to abolish the law. Not even the smallest dot of the iota, not one little um, uh, 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 syllable mark, right, will be taken away from the law. In the Catholic Church, we also have a law, and historically, the laws of the church have been uh, scattered through different uh, bulls and decrees and documents and different uh, uh, documents that establish the norms of the church, and it took a canon lawyer with a great library, and you would have to write to them and say, you know, what is the law here, and they would go through and give their opinion. Up until recently when i say recently 1917 was the first time that the church compiled our whole law together the whole body the whole corpus of the laws of the church and published it in one book called the code of canon law which was then updated in 1983 and even though a whole code has not been published anew there have been even more updates and reforms to that law especially in the way in which uh, the laws Um, govern the hierarchy of the church and also the laws that concern marriage. The word law in our secular world can leave a bad taste in our mouth because in our modern society individualism and this idea of a uh, blank slate freedom seems to dominate our worldview and our interaction with reality. And postmodernism, has introduced uh, into uh, our mindset the idea that as long as I'm not hurting anyone or I'm not bothering anyone, I should be able to pursue any activity that I desire. Law, as modernists want us to think, restrict us and it's therefore, since it's a restriction, law is a bad thing. However, Law, taken from its most original meaning, is that which orders individuals and societies. It gives order and it gives purpose. It encourages justice and righteousness, and also it keeps us from danger. There's a wonderful uh, movie, first it was a book, but it was made into a wonderful movie called A Man for All Seasons, and it was a fictional biography of Thomas More, Sir Thomas More, St. Thomas More who fell out of the good graces of the king during the uh, English Reformation uh, in the split of the Anglican Church from union with the Catholic Church. And historically there was a young man, William Roper, who was uh, courting uh, Sir Thomas More's daughter and he wanted to climb the political ladder, he even wanted to impress Sir Thomas More with all of his accolades of political uh, success. In doing so, being a man without principle, Roper begins to bend and even break laws and the different established norms of the time in order to uh, climb the ranks in the political system. So Thomas More, he makes the claim that William Roper will will eventually shoot himself in the foot, if you will, because breaking all these laws, he will eventually have to answer for it. And he makes the claim that even the devil must follow a law that God imposes, that all of creation falls under the law. So in this beautiful interchange, if you've seen it, great. If not, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh, view, and the dialogue is beautiful. But at this moment, they start to get in this little verbal uh, tit-for-tat, if you will. And William Roper turns around to Sir Thomas More and he says, so now you would give the devil the benefit of the law. And More says, yes, Why, what would you do? Cut a great road through the law to get after the devil? And Roper responds, yes, I'd cut down every law in England just to get after the devil. Sir Thomas More then makes this poignant response. He says, oh, and when the last law was torn down, and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper? The law is all being flat." This country is planted thick with laws, from coast to coast, man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down and you're just the man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would then blow? Yes, I'd give the devil benefit of law for my own safety's sake. So Thomas More in this interaction, he takes the approach, he takes this approach because he understands that law leads to order. It keeps right order between individuals. It bestows not only responsibilities, but also rights on people. And he knows that the law is an instrument of justice in granting to each person what is owed to them. Before Thanksgiving, I took a trip down to Florida. I have a friend who has moved down uh, to southern Florida for part of his job, and he said, you've got to come visit, and it was getting cold here, so I said, this is the right time to go down. And he said, we have to go and do some hiking in the Everglades, and so we drove down to the Everglades. And at every single trailhead, there was the pictogram sign that showed you to keep plenty of distance from the alligators, right? So they set up this sign, right? Don't go near the alligators, don't feed the alligators. And finally, after we kind of set out on the third trail and I saw this, I looked at it, and I said, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do, right? Just because kind of a joke, right? But the idea there and why it was ironic was because, you know, the law was not there in order to, you know, put me down and control me. I still had the freedom to follow the law or to not follow the law, but by not following the law, I would have put my life in danger. We did get close to alligators, but they were about this big, they were baby, they were cute. After about that, they're no longer cute, and they're no longer safe to be near, right? (laughs) So, but in a family, we see a similar reality. I would say even an identical reality. Parents set the rules, they set the law, they set the code of the home and rules are set up so that the relationships in the family are ordered towards, the indiv- towards each individual flourishing but also the- so that the family interrelationships are also ordered towards a common purpose. Acting within the limits of the law, the code of the home, the law of the parents, means that the children have the right and the benefit of receiving the nurture and protection of parents. This is natural order, natural law, right? Nothing new, nothing different between Christians and non-Christians. But notice it when it's a member of the family circumvents the code of the home, goes outside of the structure of the governance and the law of the household, this is when a family member becomes hurt, injured, or victimized. And this is very easily illustrated. 99.9% of the time, when one of your children got gets hurt or, or was hurt, what was the first thing that came into your mind? I told you not to do that, right? I told you not to do that because there is a law set up, and when they go outside of that law and the code of the home, that is when we no longer have the protection of the family structure. In the kingdom of God as a society, we even call it a family. And that law that God sets up gives us a right to his nurturing and his protection. But it's when we go outside of those laws and that set code that he has given to us that we become spiritually hurt, injured, victimized. We lose a right to his grace. We lose the divine life that he gives us in our baptism. So since the kingdom of God is society, it's a group of individuals ordered towards some purpose, and it can't exist without a law. And so this is why Christ doubles down in saying the law is not going away. But what does he do? He shows how the law of God, when followed precisely, and when followed diligently, changes our hearts. This is different than man's laws. What happens in our society when we disagree with the law of the land? We go to our representatives, we raise holy you-know-what, and we try and get it changed. Because we want to see the laws benefit society. But the law of God already benefits us. And so when I become... When I confront the law of God and there's something that's not working there, it is not my place to grumble against God and tell him, you must change your law. It's an indication that something in me has to change to conform to him. An indication that something's wrong in my my being and how I've chosen to live. And so I must conform myself to it. So whether we're talking about the commandments of God, the precepts of the church, the human laws that order the practical hierarchy and governance of the church, we're not dealing with ordinary laws. In fact, in the code of canon law, the very last law that is given in the code of canon law says salus animarum precepta lex suprema esto. The supreme law of the church must be the salvation of souls that every law that the church gives, every law that God gives in Scripture or through the moral patrimony handed down from the church points us towards eternal salvation, points, us, points each soul towards the ordering, rightly, of the kingdom of God, not for an earthly reality, though we are an earthly reality, but more fully in eternal glory with God in heaven. So our Lord has not come to abolish the law, but instill a new meaning, to make sure that our hearts conform to it so that we can live at peace with one another and at peace with a world who does go astray and violates the law of God in so many heinous ways. And this is the central theme of Sirach in our first reading, where he says that the commandments lead to salvation, and before each person lies a choice, life or death, the way of light or the way of darkness. And this was classically how the church understood her morality. We either choose light or we choose darkness. We choose life or we choose death. To turn from his law is to choose eternal punishment and and everlasting separation. In Psalm 119, which is a long psalm and we only heard a brief snippet of it in the responsorial psalm that was so beautifully sung, it proclaims the beauty Of God's commandments. Those who keep them are blameless, and God will bless them with eternal life. And later on in that psalm, which we didn't, this was a a verse that we didn't hear in our responsorial psalm, it says, and this is a very famous line from this psalm, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. How many times do we look for refreshment in our life and contentment? And we look at all these things in the world, All these things that can give us momentary um, glimpses of pleasure and of joy. And yet, our Lord desires to give us peace and the contentment of following his law. So when the law of God and his church is internalized, when it forms our heart to do what is right, then we'll find ease in doing what is just, not only for God, but also for our brothers and sisters. It also allows us to measure, without becoming disgruntled, allows us to measure the goodness of earthly kingdoms and earthly laws, because we measure them against a law that is eternal and a law that we know is there for our salvation. So the discipline that God's law requires brings a contentment throughout life, because we know the divine lawgiver will nurture and protect the souls of his faithful, and then at the end, of this valley of tears, of this difficulty of the battle between the world and the church, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of death, we will be welcomed into the eternal kingdom that Christ desires to bring. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit,